Hey, friends of Purity for Life. We've got a bit of a different show for you today. We're going to look at two strategies for winning the war against sexual sin, but then we'll also talk about why our annual conference would be a great event for you if you want help in employing those two strategies in your lives. I'm Nate Dancer, your host. Thanks again for joining us on Purity for Life. If we want to win the battle against sexual sin, here are two things we've got to do. First, we've got to separate ourselves from the spirit of the world, and we've got to seek God with all our hearts. That's what's coming up on this episode of Purity for Life. Here we go. Each year as we get closer to our conference, we produce a show where we talk about the purpose of our conference and the theme of our conference and why we think that you would benefit from joining us. This year, I decided to do something a little different. I decided that we would use this show to explore two main themes that will be very central to our upcoming conference. And so, maybe what we say today will encourage you to join us in April. I definitely hope it does. But even if you're not able to come to the conference, I know that what we talk about today is going to be very beneficial to you in your own walk with God. Again, here's what we're going to cover. We're going to talk about why we must separate ourselves from the spirit of the world and why we must seek God. Let's get into the first theme. If there's one thing that I've learned in the last 14 years, it's that living a pure life doesn't come easy. It is definitely a fight. You could even describe it as a war. Now, I'm not a military guy, so I'm definitely venturing into dangerous territory here by using a war illustration. I don't know a lot about war strategy, but I do know that wars are often waged on multiple fronts and that an army can fight hard and skillfully and even successfully on a number of fronts, but if an army ignores one front, that army is certain to incur great damage, casualties, and maybe even an eventual defeat. That same principle applies to the spiritual war that we're in. In this battle to live a pure life, we've got to be prepared to fight effectively on all fronts. So, What battlefronts do the scriptures tell us to fight on? There are three main ones, the flesh, the devil, and the world. And each of these represent a very serious threat to our spiritual lives. And if we're going to win the battle along these fronts, we have to have wisdom, effort, perseverance, and the mighty aid of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this segment, I just want to focus on one of these battlefronts, the world. I would guess that most of us are aware that we have to fight against the flesh and we have to fight against the devil. But how many of us are really ready to acknowledge that we also have to fight against the world? Maybe we are, but are we certain that we know what the world is? I want to talk about that a little bit right here. One of the main Greek words that is translated world in English is this word cosmos. 
Cosmos is always translated world in English, but it's not talking about the physical world. It's a little bit of a complicated word, and there's a lot of background detail, and you could do a ton of study on your own time. But let me just give you a really basic introduction to this concept. The word cosmos denotes order, and it means an ordered group of human beings who are unified. Now, let's ask the question, what is it that is ordering and grouping and unifying these people together? That's a very important question. When you begin to study this concept of cosmos, you find out that the thing that is unifying this group together is rebellion against the authority of God. So, at this point, maybe we're tempted to think that this is just a small portion of the men and women who are living in our world today. Because, after all, most people are not outrightly haters of God and in rebellion to his authority, right? Well, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of cosmos. And those who are not in the kingdom of God are in the kingdom of cosmos. And we all know who rules that kingdom. It's the devil himself. And so we must be prepared not only to fight on the battlefronts of the flesh and the devil, but also to fight against this unified system that's in rebellion to God's authority. Now, I want to make something really clear here. I'm not talking about fighting against people. The Apostle Paul said very clearly, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world's rulers of the darkness of this age, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So even though the word cosmos is describing a group of people united against the authority of God, the real battle is with the demonic system that is behind cosmos. Think about it. Who is it that is inspiring so much lust and sensuality and perversity in our culture? It's the spirit of cosmos, and we must fight it. Now, I wonder if some of this sounds (laughs) a little bit like a sci-fi movie, but if you read the book of Revelation, you can see mankind is headed somewhere. Mankind is headed toward a once-and-for-all battle against the authority of Jesus Christ, and this is what we call the Battle of Armageddon. I think that it's really obvious that mankind must be prepared for that battle, meaning that the demonic realm is working to condition man into a mindset of outright rebellion against God. So, with that in view, we have to ask ourselves, what things are being used to condition man toward rebellion? Because this mindset of hatred and this kind of insanity that would declare outright war against the king of heaven, that is not going to come out of the blue. 
that is inspired, that is worked toward, that will be fostered in mankind until that spirit is absolutely entrenched in mankind. So what does the devil use? Let me state one really obvious tool, pornography. If pornography is not motivated and empowered by the spirit of cosmos, who is motivating it? If pornography is not an expression of total rebellion against God's clear word, what is it? When we indulge in pornography or sexual sin, we are embracing the spirit of cosmos, and this is a spirit which hates Jesus with an absolute hatred. Now, pornography is not the only thing. There are others. Our world is growing more and more sensual, more and more hateful, more and more prideful, and that spirit is saturating many aspects of our culture. Now, you see, this is where the battle gets really practical. This is where it touches our everyday lives because the spirit of cosmos is infusing the things of our world with its God-hating spirit, and then it's using those things to try and bring us into that same spirit. If we think carefully, we can clearly see that many things in our culture are headed in a very ominous direction. Politics, literature, music, art, the corporate world, international relations, aren't these things very clearly infused with a spirit? They are, but it's not the spirit of God. It's the spirit of cosmos. That's why if we're a Christian... God commands us to come out of her, my people. In other words, we have to create a very real separation between the things of the world and our hearts. There has to be distance between us and them, not just in theory, but in the way we live our lives. And here's where the difficulty occurs, though. How do we define what is worldly and what is not? This requires honesty and wisdom because things which seem neutral and things which seem innocent may be used by the enemy for the purpose of luring us away from God and infecting us with his anti-God mindset. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about something neutral, food. Can food be good and beneficial? Absolutely. Can it also be sinful? Very clearly, our culture is glorifying the preparation and the enjoyment of food at a level which is idolatrous. Let me give you another example. Sleep. Sleep is necessary. It's beneficial. It restores our strength and our health. But can it be sinful? Absolutely. It all depends on the reason that we use it. It depends on how much we use it. It depends on when we use it. The bottom line is this. The spirit of cosmos uses the things of the world to try and take us in a direction which is away from God. And I'm only talking here about things which are neutral. 
I'm not even commenting on things which are inherently dangerous, things like movies, music, the sports industry, money. There is a spirit in the world which is actively trying to use these things to pull us into his God-hating mindset. Now let's circle right back around to where we started. To ignore this battlefront is spiritual suicide. We might realize that we need to fight the flesh and to fight the devil, but to ignore the battlefront of the world is to leave our guards down. So what does it mean to fight on this battlefront? I think you can boil it down to two headings. Come out and come in. Here's what I mean. God's message to every Christian is come out. The spirit of the world is saturating television, movies, music, social media, politics, the industry of pleasure, the pursuit of money and success. We must come out. Have you? Or is your life still full of these things? Have you consciously made the decision to put a limit on the amount of time you are exposed to the things of the world, or are you just going with the flow of the culture and of your own desires? But God has not only commanded us to come out, he has also invited us to come in. He's not looking to make our lives miserable and strip them of meaning and pleasure and joy. He's inviting us to come in. This means that we live our lives in the pursuit of God and in pursuit of his will and his kingdom. We're not leaving the spirit of cosmos to come into a barren wilderness of joylessness. We're leaving it in order to come into real joy, purpose, meaning, and fulfillment. Hopefully, I've been able to give you a very brief, clear introduction on this topic. But I also want to say that this is one of the main reasons that we're gathering together for our annual conference in April, because we want to make new commitments to come out of the spirit of the world. I told you at the beginning that we're going to explore two themes today. We just talked about how the world is the enemy to a life of purity and how we need to come out. Next, we're going to talk about seeking God. One of the greatest promises the Lord has given us is that when we seek him with our whole hearts, we're going to find him. In other words, when we seek him, he's going to move. He's going to intervene in our lives. He's going to do things for us that no one else can. Now, before we start talking about this, I want to let a couple people share about how they came to our annual conference with a great need and how God met them. I grew up in the church and had been going to church services from as far back as I can remember. Um, my dad was a sound man, my mom was on the choir, and somewhere around the age of 13, I ended up joining the worship band. And up until the age of 21, I was playing on the worship team, playing piano, um, doing the altar call music uh, during services and things like that. I was introduced to sexual sin when I was very young and started to interact with a family member 
and that went until I was about 12 years old and it was exposed. Um, but the sexual sin continued. I was looking at magazines, looking at lingerie magazines, and then somewhere around the age of 13, I was shown my first pornographic film, and that gripped me. And from then on, it was looking at female bodies. It was giving into self-gratification and lost my virginity at 21. And at that point, things just escalated. And um, two years later, it didn't matter who it was, what time it was, who you were, whether you were this person's friend and it ruined the other person's life, I was bent on sexual sin, giving over to it, and it didn't matter who I hurt. It got to the place at one point where someone very close to me chose to confront me, and it was very emotional. It was very heartfelt. They were outside of the car on their knees crying, asking me to get help. Um, but I was so deluded and I didn't care about how it was affecting other people, that didn't do anything. And it wasn't until January of 2013 that I found out that I was going to lose my job, my dream job that I'd worked so hard for, uh, for a possible sexual harassment charge. And when that happened, that's when I knew you need to get help because this is going to ruin your whole future. This is going to ruin your career. And so that's when I decided, okay, this is affecting my life. And so I have to get help tried to deal with this um, in my life. My parents had sent me to a men's group that was dealing with sexual sin. Uh, eventually I got a counselor, uh, or you'd call an accountability brother, and I wasn't committed to that. So two weeks later, ended up dropping out of that. Um, I'd read books on the subject, and I just wasn't serious. But now I was about to lose the dream job. Now this was like, this could ruin your life. And so I made the choice, I have to deal with this. And so um, started counseling um, and was hearing the word constantly, was hearing the Lord's truth, and it affected me. I was full of demonic oppression. I was suicidal. I would see um, nooses falling in front of my face all the time. I would hear voices in my head, throw yourself off the porch, throw yourself off of this, and even had to go to the hospital at one point because of the suicidal tendencies. and. One of the things I learned while in counseling was the importance of spiritual discipline, um, whether it's getting up and reading the Bible in the morning or getting into prayer, uh, doing mercy, praying for others, considering others as more important than yourself, um, humility and things like that. And looking back at it, it was as if I was seeing that as this intense period of boot camp because right after the counseling was over, I said to myself, and I remember thinking this in my brain, I'm going to take a break. It's time to take a break from all that intense spiritual discipline and just kind of chill. And it wasn't within a month that I was already flirting with a girl at work. And it wasn't a year and a half later before I had gone farther in my sexual sin than I had gone before I started that counseling period. I had heard about the Pure Life Ministries uh, conference and decided to attend in 2016. I don't remember a lot of the worship. I don't remember a lot of the messages. I don't remember a lot of the interactions I had. What I do remember is that they offer a time of intercessory prayer. And I knew I needed prayer. I knew I needed to go up there. Um, I almost thought of it as like a shot in the arm. 
you know, if I can just go to this conference and get prayed for and get some good teaching, I'll get that shot in my arm and I'll be good to go. And so I got in line uh, for intercessory prayer and I sat across from a man named Jordan. And I don't remember what I told him, but apparently I told him what was going on um, because he just started praying so intently over me and started weeping and saying, Josh, God is calling you home. The Father is calling you back to himself. He wants you back with him. He's calling you home. And I remember weeping, just weeping during that time. And God heard his prayer because it was not a month later that I was sitting in an alley in downtown Raleigh. And I knew in that moment I was going to hell if I didn't deal with this. So I called my accountability uh, brother and I told him everything. The sin came out, just like the prodigal son. I realized where I was at. I realized the pit I was in and I made the step to turn. And God called me back. And within a week, I was in the residential program at Pure Life Ministries. And looking back six years later, that moment right there was a very powerful moment where the Lord heard Jordan's prayer. He heard the prayer that that man prayed, and he, in that moment, started the work that has brought me back to him. And six years later, I've been walking in freedom. My name is Reuben. I came to the Pure Life Ministries conference for the first time in 2021 with some of my friends who are familiar with the program. I had dropped out of the Overcomers at Home program about a year and a half earlier and had still not overcome sexual sin. I didn't think I needed to do the Overcomers at Home program or the residential program or any program for that matter. I thought I just needed to do what I knew I should do. My first impression of the conference was that God was present, I would say. The atmosphere from the moment I walked in the doors was, it was obvious that God was there. The biggest thing that the Lord did for me at the conference was to convince me that I needed to come to the residential program. One of the things he dealt with to get me to that point was my view on psychotropic medication. I had been on psychotropic medication since I was 15, and I had never functioned normally without it. I believed that it was my responsibility to take psychotropic medication, not only for my own safety, but for the safety of those around me. My counselor in the Overcomers at Home program encouraged me to pray about coming off of psychotropic medication. I was so set against that in my own heart that I couldn't conceive that God would want me to do that. This belief led me to drop out of the Overcomers at Home program and also not to come to the residential program because I felt like if I came to the residential program, I would need to be okay with coming off of medication. So at the conference, the Lord really dealt with me on the issue of psychotropic medication. After a conversation with one of the staff members, I realized that my flesh was fighting against God. And during a message, the Lord made it clear to me that I was letting psychotropic medication stand between me and Him. I don't remember hardly anything about that message other than the speaker mentioning 
there could be one thing standing between me and the Lord, and I knew that psychiatric medication was that for me. At the end of that message, I went up to the altar and gave up my right to take psychotropic medication. I didn't know what that would mean for me, but I was willing to let the Lord decide what I should do. It's interesting to look back and see how that one thing also was present in much of the rest of my life. And as I went through the program, the Lord showed me how I had fought against him in many other ways by trying to do things to earn his favor instead of giving up my way of doing things and accepting what he had done for me. Learning to trust in the Lord has been a wonderful experience. He's opened my eyes to see him in a whole new way. He's given me joy in reading his word and spending time in prayer. And he's giving me a heart for people who need help. The Lord has led me to begin the process of coming off of psychiatric medication. It's a long journey for me, and it's still in process. But I'm so thankful for the blessings that He is giving me. He's teaching me how to have self-control without it. And He's also given me the blessing of a clearer mind and less sleepiness in the morning when I'm trying to seek Him. And I'm just learning that he is actually enough for me. When I went to the conference, the thing that impacted me the most was God's presence and his power that was working in my life. When I came to the conference, I was a mess. Um, I had gone through Teen Challenge a number of years prior and God had moved in my life and set me free of drugs and alcohol. However, I was still in a lot of self. I was still not truly submitted to God. I, would, I, I guess the easiest way to sum it up was I was serving God on my terms and hadn't truly surrendered to Him. And so when I came to the conference... I came with some people from my church. They they could tell that there were issues in my life. They could tell that they were praying for me. And so I came with them to the conference and they were praying prior that when I would come that God would speak to me and would show me. And their hope is that God would bring me into the program to do the residential program. And so when I came, I was full of fear. I was uneasy. I had a sense in me that my life was going to change. I, I did want the Lord. I did want change in my life. I was a little bit afraid of what that would look like. And so that's the state of mind I was in when I came into the conference. When I first got to the conference and walked into the lobby, 
God's presence was there in a powerful way. And I also noticed the staff that were there. Uh, there was something different about them. And me and two other guys that were with me went into the sanctuary and sat down. And uh, we, we had worship and during worship, God's Spirit was moving, and after worship, Pastor Steve got up and preached. Uh, he was preaching out of the book of Revelation, and it was very impactful to me. Um, I recognized that truth was being preached, and it was very real to me. During the service and the whole day, God's presence was there exposing me to myself. It was very personal. It was something God was doing inside of me. And I felt dirty. I felt unclean, but yet I also felt accepted by God. And I, I felt him calling me to surrender. I had never truly surrendered my life to him. And I believe I was experiencing salvation and the call to the cross to lay down my life. Even after that powerful experience at the conference, God still hadn't revealed to me that he was calling me to go through the program. Uh, the next day, Saturday, I came to campus and upon coming onto the campus, God's presence again, the same power, was there. And I did the tour, and the man who did the tour came over to me, and there was another man standing beside me, and he said, I believe the Lord is calling one of you guys into the program. Uh, the other man said, it's not me, and so... I then said, yes, it's me. Uh, God arrested me on the spot. It was very real to me that it was the Lord speaking through the, the man. And so he went into the office and got a residential paper and brought it back out and handed it to me and encouraged me to fill it out and to call him, uh, which I did and got here uh, five months later and since doing the program uh, my life has been completely different my life has been completely changed so we were just in a really dark place and it felt like we were in this vicious cycle of trying something and having success for a little bit and so it'd be hopeful there would be like, oh, this is, you know, maybe we'll, this will be different this time. And then it just seems like it was this vicious cycle of over and over again, me finding out he was back in sin. It had been like probably like six weeks since things had came into the light again. And so right when it happened, my first thought was just like, I am so sad. Like, God has been so merciful to him. And, like, he's just throwing away all that God has given him. Because, and, like, yeah, I think it wasn't so much that he, like, 
was back into doing stuff, it was more like that he was lying again for months. I found this out like months later and I'm just like, oh my word, like I can never believe a word he says. Like that was what was just like crushing to me. And, and that's what was like so devastating to where I'm like, I don't know if I can keep believing him. We had been on this roller coaster for so many years now and um, I felt like I had poured so much of like my heart and energy and prayers and effort into restoring our marriage because I really cared about it. I really wanted a godly marriage and um, I was tired of being just constantly disappointed and just couldn't see a way, I can't like, I couldn't see a future where this wasn't just happening over and over and so I was really really discouraged and just really um, in despair, really. So I felt like I had a really a big breakthrough at the pre-conference, the uh, marriage pre-conference that Jeff and Rose had, and just bringing back to reality that it's the enemy that's after our marriage and just brought me back to this is God's will for us to be together. It is God's will for us to have a um, fruitful, godly marriage and to be strong in that. And just renewed hope in me and what God wants to do and that I needed to come back and fight the enemy through prayer for my marriage and just get on God's side and in God's will and be in the flow of what God desires for our marriage. It was really comforting. It's also a time of surrender, like that altar call at the end. And I really just felt like I had to lay down this wall that I had built between us. I really had like, I'd really distanced myself. Like emotionally, my heart was not in the marriage at all. And it was a time of like, I got to come again to forgiveness. I have to come into that again of just surrendering my husband and my marriage, the Lord, but just being faithful to do my part and being faithful to follow the Lord and what He's called me to do. I was also really blessed by the round table that Kathy and several other ladies led. It's really helpful and really practical, but also just called us back to getting our eyes on the Lord and really focusing and just fixing our gaze upon Him, like surrendering our husband surrendering and laying down the other cares and worries and stuff that were burdened, you know, that burdened me down and really just look to the Lord, fixing, just having a steady gaze on Him and um, finding my hope and my help in Him. I just felt like it was like, yeah, it didn't change. Like I went home to the same circumstances. Like it was just one day later in my life or whatever. It wasn't like it fixed anything circumstantially, but it really shifted my heart and my mindset. And really, yeah, I just, I went from that place of despair and hopelessness to trusting the Lord. I didn't know. I don't even still know like what the future is, but I think, yeah, the really, the heart of it is, is that, like, no matter what the future is, no matter what, what is coming down the pike, the Lord is still my strength and my hope and my help and those things that like, the future's okay because I have Jesus. All right, now I'd like to look at the very vital need for us to seek God, especially if we're in sexual sin. I'm going to play an interview that Pastor Steve Gallagher did on our show a few years ago about this topic. 
Pastor Steve, as we're talking about necessary components of finding victory, we're going to discuss the idea of seeking the Lord for deliverance. And the thing is, I don't think a lot of people in the church would outright disagree with that idea that God is the one who can give deliverance. But I had to ask myself that if people believe this, then why was it that I didn't hear that every time I asked somebody for help with sexual sin? I think to put it in general terms, Brooks, the bottom line is that God is fairly small in the thinking and in the mindset of most Christians. Um, You know, I mean, I don't mean to be harsh or unkind or whatever. I just don't know how to say it other than what I see. But for the most part, it seems like the things of the world are huge inside people's hearts. You know, their jobs, school for kids, television, the Internet, sports, news, um, just all kinds of activities. And then God is included, but he, he just takes a fairly small role in the lives of most professing Christians. So, okay, and especially when you think about someone who's given over to habitual sinful behavior, even smaller than the typical Christian out there. So then when they go to look for help, you know, they're not going to be thinking in terms of, oh, God is going to set me free. And then on top of that, it's kind of uh, alongside that, is most of the guys who deal with sexual sin uh, have at some level asked the Lord for help, cried out to the Lord for help. But it's been so sporadic and in the midst of an overwhelming uh, indulgence in the world and in sin that God isn't able to set them free in that lifestyle that they're living. You mentioned a couple flaws in the way that people approach their life, typically, especially addicts, that they view God as very small, and, and even when they cry out that it's not with a lot of frequency or earnestness. Do you think they realize that, or do you think for the most part they, they would think, well, no, I do know wh- what God's like, and, and I really have tried. What have you typically found that people believe about themselves in this? Well, just generally speaking, people in sin tend to blame shift responsibility. They tend to exaggerate how much they've tried every little tiny, the tiniest little effort at changing to them seems huge. And they tend to blame others, in this case, God. Where are you, God? Why haven't you answered my prayers, God? You know, so their perspectives are so skewed. Really what we're talking about, Brooks, you get right down to it, it's a lack of real faith. You know, they don't have the faith to believe God to set them free because they are not in a um, a trusting relationship with him. But they just don't see that, probably. They don't realize it because, again, they exaggerate in their minds how much they are putting into this relationship. And they're not seeing things right. Mm -hmm. 
I was looking at an article you wrote a while back called Pressing Through for Deliverance, which dealt with this topic, and you cited a counselor who said some something pretty astonishing to me. She said, the worst thing you can do with people involved in pornography is lecture them about praying more or asking God for help. They've already done that, often to the point of despair. I know you take issue with that, but if somebody out there feels that way and they're saying, I have prayed, I have sought God, and I haven't seen him do anything, why should I start down this path again? What would you tell them? Well, first of all, what this lady said comes from a heart of someone who obviously um, trusts in psychology and obviously does not trust in God. She is a psychologist. And she goes on to say, you need to put your trust in therapist and therapy. So, you know, just by virtue of where she's coming from, that tells us something. But I go back to what I already said a minute ago, that these people think that they have really cried out in earnest. You know, the bottom line, Brooks, is lifestyle. For a person who's addicted to any kind of behavior to overcome that, requires a complete overhaul of their lifestyle. And that begins in the heart, a complete renovation, regeneration in the heart. And so, you know, they people want to take these tiny little steps and demand that God rush in and make everything right. And it just does not happen that way. He is the Lord, not us, you know, and he is the one who tells us how to find victory, how to walk in victory. He lays out a lifestyle in Scripture, but most people, and I'm talking about professing Christians, do not live the lifestyle that he lays out in Scripture. And therefore, they don't have any real victory over temptations to sin. All right, so when you are telling people they should start seeking God, what exactly are you saying they should do? Okay, if we just got down to the bare-bones practical um, reality of what I'm talking about, I would say this. You begin by establishing a strong devotional life. Every morning, you spend quality time in the Word of God, and every morning, you spend quality time in prayer. And what I mean by quality time is not three minutes and not— you know, reading the Bible while you're chomping down your toast and eating your cereal and running out the door. I'm talking about getting up early, which means going to bed early, getting up early and spending time with the Lord. At least begin with 15 minutes apiece. And as that um, takes hold, and habits are very hard to form like this, and (laughs) fleshly habits are easy to form, of course, But spiritual habits are difficult to form. But once it gets established, after a couple of weeks, let's say, uh, then it becomes easier to spend more time in the Word, more time in prayer. And, And as that goes on over a period of time, the power of those temptations diminish. And I have seen that hundreds or maybe thousands of times over my 30 some years of being in this ministry. It works. It's not a matter that it works, really. I almost hate to say it that way. I'll just say that it enables God 
to bring his power to bear upon our hearts when we spend time with him. Well, I can see what you're laying out there, and I was just wondering if you could maybe give a verse or two that helps to undergird that. Yeah, I mean, John 15 comes to mind. Uh, Jesus was talking about the vine and the branches and so on, and he said in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay, that lays out a—it's a metaphor that describes a— a part of the relationship we have with the Lord. And he goes on to say, he who abides in me and I in him. In other words, I'm not talking about just going to church on Sunday morning, you know, and occasionally reading a Christian book or listening to Christian radio. We're talking about a close connection, a real relationship that's intimate and ongoing. He says, He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And that sums it up right there. That really is the answer to your first question. Why is it that people aren't getting freedom? And that's it right there, because you can do nothing in your own strength, in in the flesh. We don't have what it takes to overcome something as powerful as an addiction within ourselves. We need something from without, that will come in and empower us to um, overcome those temptations when they come our way. I know some men, whether it's just a point of frustration or they really get a glimpse of their desperate need, they might go to the Lord and they have an experience that's powerful and really seems to impact them, but it just seems like it wears off. Uh, why is that, and what? how can somebody avoid just feeling like that's always what happens, that it just wears off? Well, when we cry out to the Lord, the Lord will answer, although he may not always come in rushing in with a powerful experience, but sometimes it does happen. But the key is what I said before, is lifestyle. We need to be connected to the Lord every day. You know, for instance, when Satan was coming to Jesus, one of the uh, verses he quoted is, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. And that describes how we um, are nourished physically. We eat three times a day, not just once a week, not even just once a day, three times a day. So he's establishing a, a precedent in the spiritual realm that we must go to the Lord, to his word, and to him in prayer um, on a regular basis, and that is what keeps us strong and maintains victory over the long haul. Well, I know you're speaking from experience because you have proven that seeking the Lord is the way out. In your own life, you've seen this happen. Can you share what that looked like for you? Brooks, I know people probably don't really believe me when I say this, or they think I'm trying to make my case seem worse or whatever. The honest truth is in all the men that I've dealt with over the years, very few have been as messed up as I was when I was in my sin. I mean, I was just so far gone. And yet the Lord got it into me to start seeking him every day. It was in 1984, and I can't even remember 
exactly how it came about. I just remember we had to um, start getting up and spending time with the Lord. And it went on for a few months. And during that time, I was the power of temptation was diminishing. And the last time I fell into sin with another person, with a woman, was in uh, May of 1985. Um, and But it was like, even when that happened, it was like, I didn't need to do this. You know, it was almost I did it out of habit, but I was already getting the victory over this obsession with women that I had. And, you know, so from my own experience, that's where all of this began, is what God did in my life. And that um, setting me free, okay, I got free of habitual behavior at that point in 85, um, but I had a lot of junk in me, garbage and baggage that took years to overcome, but I was overcoming as I went because of this new lifestyle I had of seeking the Lord. And, you know, I talk about a daily time. Okay, so I always spend and have for 30-some years, um, always spend at least two hours every morning. But there are some mornings I spend three, four, five hours, you know, with the Lord in the Word or whatever. Uh, And, you know, so it's not just, okay, spend your little time with the Lord. It's a lifestyle of seeking God, of wanting to be with Him of desiring his presence and really loving him, you know, and that grows over time. It doesn't just happen all of a sudden, but it it does happen. And that really is what the Christian life should look like for anyone who professes to be a follower of Christ. All right, that's it for this show. I think we've given you a lot to chew on and Some of you may need to really take stock of your lives and how much of the world you're allowing into your home and into your mind and into your heart. Others of you might need to make a real commitment to begin seeking God with your whole heart. And some of you might want to join us at our annual conference as a way to express to God that you want to separate from the world and be devoted to seeking Him. If that's the case, You can just go to conference.purelifeministries.org. We'd love to see you in April. Thanks again for listening to Purity for Life. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.